Hey, everybody. Just in case I was alone here. See, on the podcast, I was really good. it was going to sound like everyone was at a Super Bowl party, and I got up here and, and just did this for Corey to record. And so just so the people who are at Super Bowl parties can know that you all were faithful to be here. Uh, hey, everybody. Hey. Okay, see, that sounds like there are a lot more people here than there are. So we're going to have to find a middle road. It'll be fine. Uh, if you can open up your Bibles to Psalm 130. We're going to be in Psalm 130 tonight. As Joel said, next week we're going to begin uh, our study of the life of David. We just wrapped up the study in James. And so tonight uh, we're we're just going to have a little meditation, a pause here in Psalm 130. And we're going to think about what's coming ahead uh, starting next week with with Lent. Um, As you're making your way there to uh, Psalm 130... Uh, Let me just give you a little bit of a description of what's going on here. Uh, Starting in Psalm 120 and carrying on to to 134, these are called Psalms of Ascent. They they were Psalms, songs that were sung as the Jews were making their way to Jerusalem. And they would go to Jerusalem three times a year for these, uh, these required pilgrimage festivals. And, and at these festivals, uh, there is, there's Passover, there is the Feast of Weeks, and then the Feast of Booths. And they would make their way three times a year from the different places that they lived in Israel. They would make their way to Jerusalem to worship, to remember, and to, uh, to visit as well, to have this fellowship of the people of God. And so they would sing these songs of ascent because they were making their way up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was about 2,500 feet above sea level, and so they would make their way up, regardless of where you kind of lived, as you made your way to Jerusalem, you were going up to Jerusalem. And so as they made their way up, as they journeyed and they ascended to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. And as you'll notice, even as, as we have the, uh, the English rendering here from the Hebrew a lot of words are repeated over and over again. There's a rhythm to it. You, you can really pick it up in this very short psalm. So short that a, a parent could be singing it as they're making their journey to Jerusalem. And a child would pick it up. Almost like a Christmas song. You know how there, there are like 15 Christmas carols. And, and every kid just, they, they latch on to them in one season. Uh, June, my daughter, she's two years old, she, she's done that with Away in a Manger. She still wants it every night to be sung. And uh, Jess sang it to her one, one night, and June actually was singing along. And uh, June got the words wrong, like a little kid would. Uh, and we found out it's because Dad doesn't know the words. <laughs> and, and so... Jess and I have been singing different versions of Away in a Manger. June has learned mine, and it's wrong. Uh, but but these, these children, as they made their way, they, they would have picked up on the, the rhythm as different words would rhyme and, and would be repeated over and over again. And it would teach them, it would, it would inform them about their faith and the God that they followed. And so I, I hope that it can be that for us tonight. So let's turn our attention, imagining that we are walking these steps 
Imagine that we are walking with the great congregation, the people of God, and hearing these words sung, different ages, different genders, singing these same words together. A song they, they know well. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Let's pray. Oh God, I I pray that You would bless the very reading of Your Word, that by Your Spirit You would begin to transform us, renew our minds. Renew our spirits. Lord, give us the, um, the courage uh, to think deeply about your word, to think honestly about ourselves. And Lord, that you would draw us closer to you and that you would conform us into the image of our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. So it's a, it's a song of repentance. As they're making their way, as they're making their way to Jerusalem, and as they near that, that specific kind of fixed place where the people of God would, would congregate to worship Him, they're singing these words of repentance. They're singing these words that um, Martin Luther called this uh, a Pauline psalm. It's a psalm that Paul would write. It just, it just puts this uh, perfect grasp of the gospel right here in the Psalm of the Ascent. And it begins with very desperate words. It begins at a very dark place. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Now when you see the Lord in, in all caps, that's, that's the personal name of God, that's Yahweh, that's, that's being rendered there, Lord. So, so every time, uh, and your, your translation might do this, all caps, that's, that's Yahweh. And so it begins, I cry out of the depths to Yahweh. Very personal. Very direct. And so we get an understanding straight out of the gate that the context of this person, it, it, this is a context of confession. It's very personal. It's very desperate. I cry out to Yahweh. This isn't just a general, I'm kind of sorry. This isn't, I've, I've made some mistakes since the last time I've made my way up to Jerusalem. This is very Direct and very personal. Out of the depths. And this, this language of out of the depths is, is used in other psalms. Uh, psalm 6 and Psalm uh, 69 also uses it. But, but uh, different than those contexts of uh, 6 and 69, that where it's illness, this, this idea that illness or something's kind of crushing or weighing in, out of the depths, I, I'm being overcome by something. Illness in one, persecution in another. This one's different. 
The psalmist is being overcome, being weighed down, and crying out from the depths of his own sin. It's his sinfulness. It's, it's his rebellion against God. It's his distrust of God. He's calling out from that dark and low place. Out of the depths I cry to you, Yahweh. And so from the very beginning we get this sense that he has, he has a very direct awareness of both God, Yahweh, and his sin. He's, he's aware of both. And that's going to be a relationship that's going to be important as we make our way through the rest of this psalm. He is aware of God and he is aware of his sin. Out of the depths I cry to you. And so he begins this psalm of repentance. And for repentance to happen, we first have to have an awareness of God. We first have to, to be aware, to be um, acknowledging the person of God, that, that we would be mindful of Him. See, if we're not mindful of Him, then, then there's not a chance that we're going to be mindful of our own sin. We might be aware of how we've hurt people. We might be aware of how we've disappointed people. Or we might be aware of the, the bad consequences that we're living out. But seeing something as sin, particular as sin, that, that only happens if there is that awareness of God. And if there is that awareness of God, and we, we see ourselves in the light of His holiness, then, and only then, do we see sin. It's a revelation. It's, a, it's actually a gift of God. It's a, it's a sign that He loves you when you see your sin. And so, so actually something that I want, to, I want us to do tonight is to cast repentance and cast the seeing of our own sinfulness in a completely different light than maybe you're used to and I'm used to. That, that perhaps repentance should be more closely tied, not with despair, but with joy. Out of the depths, the depths of seeing one's own sinfulness and, and realizing that there's no way out on our own. There's no way out. And so he says, out of the depths I cry to you. And then he pleads. He pleads for mercy. Because he's far more sinful than he ever believed. And he cries out to the one whom he has sinned against. Look at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? He states very boldly here that this scenario is, is for all of us. It's not, this isn't unique to this one guy. He's not just a really terrible Jew that writes psalms. No, this is everybody. This is everyone that's making their way up to Jerusalem and everyone that God has purposed this psalm for tonight. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? No one. You see, if God was just up there and he was marking like in, in a big ledger, he was just taking notes of sin and just write, writing them out, which might be a vision of God that you have in your mind or, or had at, at some point growing up, that God is just writing down, he, he's, kinda, he's scanning, sees sin, writes it down, not looking good for you this year. We're kind of talking about Santa Claus at this point, but, but we have this idea that if, if, if you were to do that, if you were just marking down sins, then the people of God would be nobody. 
If you're looking to redeem a people, and the, the means by which you would redeem those people is by, by collecting those who were sinless, then God, you, you would not have people. There would be no people of God. And so the, the psalmist just calls out and says, if, if that's how this is all going to be played out, if, if, if this is by righteousness and good works, if that's how we, we are becoming the, the redeemed people of God, then no one's going to stand. Look at verse 4. There's, there's another place that has a, a, a verse 4 that has a, uh, it says, but right after it. And so as we're, as we're reading this, hold, hold in mind from Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God. And, and look here at verse 4 of Psalm 130. But with you, Yahweh, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So think of this as, as they're making their way up making their way up to to Jerusalem. It's either the the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Booths. Now, Passover, that's that's when they would remember that God was the one that got them out of Egypt. He rescued them from Egypt and and ransomed them. And then with the the second festival, it's the, the Feast of Weeks, which celebrates the giving of the law the Mosaic Law at Sinai. So so the giving of the law. So they they celebrate that. Then the Feast of Booths, that's when they remember when Israel was in the desert and they lived in tents. It's sometimes even referred to as the the Festival of Tents because they would would build little tents when they would go to Jerusalem and they they would build these little makeshift tents and they would celebrate inside of them and remember when they were nomads in the desert. Now one thing with all three of these festivals, in the first one, when they reached the water, they were, they were running out of Egypt. And their persecutors close behind them, and they got to water. They said, oh great, now we're going to die. They didn't trust that God was going to carry them through. They thought, it's over. And then, with the festival of weeks, the giving of the law... When Moses is up there meeting with God, the people are melting the gold that they got in Egypt. They're melting it. Their treasures, this costly sacrifice, they're melting it all together into a calf to worship. Again, distrusting that God was going to be there and and, and pull through and take care of them. And then in the third one, when, when they were presented with the sight of the promised land, they didn't trust that God was actually going to get them there. And so they spent those years in the desert. With each one of these festivals, they they are acknowledging the faithfulness of God and the faithlessness of Israel. They know very well the problem at hand. That they don't trust in God. That they don't trust the hand of Yahweh. And so they remember, and they sing together verse 4, But with you... There is forgiveness. And that forgiveness has an aim. That forgiveness has a purpose. And that purpose is that God would be feared. Now that doesn't mean uh, that, he, that we would be scared of Him. Because really, forgiveness is actually, that, that works opposite. Like if you, if you want someone to be scared of you, then don't forgive them. <laughs> Hold it against them. Be angry at them. Hold a grudge. Say, at some point, some unfortunate thing might happen. We don't know when. 
don't know how, but you might want to be ready. Now, the, holding a grudge, now that, that's a way to, to have people be scared. But this forgiveness, this forgiveness that God issues to his people as he ransomed them to himself, that is to where he would be feared because think of this. Think of the authority that has to be at play for sin to be forgiven. The kind of power and authority for the one who forgives sin. Now, the, the Jewish people, they, they got that concept because in Mark 2, when, when these men, they carry their friend to Jesus because he, he needs to be healed, he has a physical ailment, and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. That's when all the leaders take a step back and they say, this guy's dangerous. He's very dangerous. He, he is saying that he can forgive sin, and there's only one person who can, who can do that, and that's God. And that's right. That's true. That Jesus is dangerous because he has that authority because he's God. It's a tremendous authority and he is to be feared. And I want to I pause and kind of make sure we're breaking the fourth wall and ask you a question here. That kind of forgiveness... Do you have that? And then that kind of fear, do you have that? Because they go together. They go together. Those things are related. The gift of that forgiveness leads to that gift of fear. And that holy fear that, that is not, it's not reserved, but it's reverent. It's taking these things seriously when it comes to worshiping God in all aspects of our life. Do you have that forgiveness and do you have that fear? That good kind of fear, that joyful fear of God. So why, why is there this forgiveness? How do we get to this point? Look, look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Waiting for what? Is He waiting for forgiveness? Because earlier in verse 4, He he said pretty clearly in in a present tense, there is forgiveness. Not, Not later. And here, here they are, centuries before the, the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and he's saying there is now forgiveness. Because they were looking towards, they were waiting and looking towards a hope. A hope that the Messiah would come. That a way that they have known from the very beginning that, that God would, would circumcise their hearts. That He would transform their hearts. That He would create in them a new heart, that he would write his law on their hearts. They've known from the beginning that transformation needed to happen inside. And so they're waiting. They have that forgiveness, but they are looking forward to what what is to come, this advent of the Christ child. They're looking ahead, and they hope in his word. And then this really interesting phrase here in verse 6, 
more than watchmen for the morning. Now, watchmen, uh, that, that, that word there in Hebrew in verse 6, and then in verse 3, where it says uh, marking, that you should mark iniquities, it's actually the same word. And it's used kind of interestingly. If you, if you think about as everyone's making their way up and they're singing these words and they hear the connection. Now, it's not a direct one-to-one, but they want to call into mind this similarity. <coughs> now, if God was a watchman and He was looking, scanning, a guard, a night guard, if He was guarding and He was watching, if He was looking for sin, He would certainly find it in everyone. And if a watchman was waiting for morning, the sun would come up like clockwork. I mean, it happens. The sun comes up every day. It comes up and there is certainty. Like any watchman has looked for the sun to come up, watching for morning. It happens week in, week out. It just, it, there's certainty. And we, the people of God, join with the voice of the psalmist where he says, I hope in the Word of God. I hope in the Lord with certainty. Just like I'm certain he would find sin. And just like I'm certain that the watchman would see the sun come up every morning. With that certainty, with that assurance, I hope in the word of God. I'm looking for him. I'm waiting for him. With certainty. And then it moves in verse 7 there. To the congregation. O Israel... Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. There again, it reminds me of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he says that the Lord is wealthy. He is rich in mercy. He has plentiful redemption. He has full redemption. He has has a wealth of redemption to pour out on His people. That where sin increased, grace increased all the more. This is the certainty. And as He turns to the congregation, they sing this together. It goes from, this is, this is my personal song, this is my personal hymn of repentance, but then it's also, it's our song. This is the song that we sing together. And this is the certainty that we have. There is forgiveness with Him. And we can move from that confession, we can move into that hope, and we can move into that assurance and certainty. And I pray that that will be our our vision as next week, next Wednesday, begins the season of Lent. Next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And Lent is the 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. Uh, Taking out, not counting Sundays. It's the 40 days there. And, And it's a season that's marked with repentance, season marked with fasting. And much like this psalm, it, begins, it can begin in, in a dark place. It can, it can begin with difficult thoughts, difficult revelation, seeing our sin. But as the, as the people moved from the valleys to the top of the mountain in Jerusalem, and as the psalmist moved from the depths, crying out in his sinfulness, to this place of Certainty. I, I pray that we too would walk this journey of Lent. A couple of years ago, um, about two and a half years ago, Jess and I went to London. And uh, 
We went to London. We ran all over the city, um, sometimes literally, but mostly just we made our way all over the city. Uh, and we, we went uh, to Baker Street. And so do, does this address ring a bell for anyone? 221B Baker Street. Any, anybody? Can you shout it out? Or? Okay, so now we know where all the nerds are sitting. <laughs> but that's where, that's more over there. Um, so that's where Sherlock Holmes, that's where his, his apartment is, was, is. We'll say is. Because that's, that there's a sign there, and you can actually go in. They've decorated it just like the, the stories and, and all that. And, um, and you, can, you walk up these steps, and, and they sell pipes and hats that are ridiculous and uh, cloaks. And, and if, you, if, if you have any interest in Sherlock Holmes, you can go there, and you can, you can spend pounds and pounds and pounds on uh, kitschy home stuff. But uh, one, one thing that, that um, it reminded me of, there's in The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, there, there's this account where Watson is talking to Holmes about, uh, see, so the, I'm a nerd, okay, so I'm, I'm referencing how I know this. So uh, where Watson and Holmes are talking back and forth about this process of, of how Holmes thinks. I just want to read this brief little part to you. This is Watson. When I hear you give your reasons, Mr. Watson remarked, the thing always appears to me so ridiculously simple that I could easily do it myself, though at each successive instance of your reasoning, I am baffled until you explain your process. And yet I believe that my eyes are as good as yours. Quite so, Holmes answered, lighting a cigarette and throwing himself down in the armchair. You see, but you don't observe. You see, but you don't observe. The distinction is clear. For example, how frequently have you seen the steps which lead from the hall to this room? Frequently. How often? Well, some hundreds of times. How many are there? How many? I don't know. Quite so. You have not observed, yet you have seen. And that is my point. And I know that there are 17 steps because I have both seen and observed. Now, we, we've, many of you uh, in, this, in this church family, we, we've walked the steps of Lent and Easter before. We've walked it together a couple of times now. Or maybe this is your first time. You're, you're, you're studying about the season of Lent, and uh, we've got an ad, uh, a Lenten devotional that we're going to be reading together as a church, and we're going to have those available next Sunday. And maybe you have seen this before, but have you observed it? Have you observed Lent? Have you, have you taken in the season that reminds us of what God has done? That there is forgiveness with Him? And that it's offered to us in Christ? Have you observed that? Or have you just seen it? You see, this year I don't want us to be satisfied with just seeing Lent. <coughs> I want us to observe it. I want us to drink deep the riches of God in His Word, in fellowship and worship together. And that means that we do the hard work of joyful repentance. That we would be aware. 
We would, and, and I understand that there are definitely limits to this simile with, with Sherlock Holmes, because it's not just this, I mean, he's like the scientific method guy. And so that, that's not all I'm talking about. It's not just this intellectual pursuit, but with our hearts, with our souls, with our minds, will we observe this season to walk through this story together? Just like the people of God were walking to Jerusalem. As we walk, as we walk together to Golgotha, as we ascend the hill on which our Savior died. You see, there is forgiveness with Him. And that brings about a holy fear. And I pray that we, we would take the time, that we would pay the attention, that we would observe Because it's, it's through this season, it's through what, what happened on the cross and in the resurrection as we then make our way that Sunday morning to the empty tomb. As we walk there together, that we would drink deep the truth that it's that chastisement, it's that, it's that fury of God's wrath that has brought us peace. And I pray that this season, for, for each of us, that, that this would be a season where we would not merely see, but that in our hearts and our minds and our souls we would truly observe. Let's pray together. God, help us by your Spirit to join with the psalmist that we would also hope in the Lord. That we would know your steadfast love. That we would share with those around us in your plentiful redemption. And Lord, that we would have confidence, that we would have assurance. Just like we know that there is certainty that you will find fault and sin in our hearts. And just like we have certainty that the sun will come up tomorrow, we we have this certainty that that you will come for us. God, I pray that you would help us to reflect, that you would help us to be honest with who we are, that that you would bring uh, an honesty about who you are through your word and your spirit. Lord, that we would know what it means to joyfully repent. That we would turn from our sinfulness, that we would trust you. That we would joyfully follow you in obedience. Lord, that we would repent and believe the gospel. Christ's word, the beginning of Mark as he begins his ministry, that that those proclaimed words of Jesus, that that would be true of us this Lenten season. Lord, help us not just to look at things to fast from only, but Lord, that we would have much more of a a critical mind to the sin that we would leave behind. Not just some thing for a season, that we wouldn't just give up some thing for a season, but that we would give up sin and trust in Jesus.
Lord, help us to walk together this Lenten season. Help us to walk repenting. Help us to walk believing. Help us to walk and wait for Christ and His kingdom to come in full. Help us to walk truly observing with our hearts and our souls. Observing that Your great love took on flesh, ascended to Calvary, and on Him was placed the chastisement that has brought us peace. Help us to see it. Give us the courage to see it. Help us not to look away. Help us to see you, to know you, to obey you, and to love you. We thank you for Jesus and the plentiful redemption that he has purchased for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.